0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on com. I'm Danny Guppy freeland joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte The UFC is on an exciting extended hiatus that's right we've got no fights for a little while but that doesn't mean we don't have some great content for you guys this week's show is going to feature a pair of interviews with a couple of fighters fighting on uriah faber's a1 combat 16 that fight is coming up this weekend you can catch jose avalos who's on the show this week but first you can also catch jacob rosales who's telling us some stories about the wild injuries Plus, we're bringing back our favorite end-of-the-year segment, the Combat Countdown, as we take a look at who we expect to be future champs come the end of 2024. And we're going to get... To all that great content for you, but first, I have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready to drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's well, it's really drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Certainly couldn't hurt. Game Up is not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just didn't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, one gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak and badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high-handicap hackers, committed cornhole hawkers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right
1: now. The hosts are ready, the fighters are ready, listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby!
0: All right, joining me today is Jacob Rosales, who fights Kevin Boehm at Uriah Faber's A1 Combat 16. That fight is on December 23rd. So, Jacob, I wanted to start here. I I know you started the beginning part of your career down at featherweight, or, uh, yeah, down at featherweight. The middle of your career, largely lightweight, including your stints on the Contender Series. You know, you've gone all the way up to welterweight, catchweights in the 160s. What sort of made you go back to to 145 for these last couple fights?
1: Um well my my natural body weight is pretty low. Um I I uh started fighting pretty young and uh probably a little immature with my diet and stuff and uh it's just kind of like came together my diet's been super clean, my weight's been super low. I've been walking in at um my lightweight fights, just walking in at 155. Um the my fight uh before my last one was at a catchweight at like 165 and uh i walked in i didn't cut. i walked into the fight at uh, like 155 and uh i uh um just was like Dude, i i can make it it's better for my career it's better for myself um and i just figured that if i'm gonna keep going and make this uh uh, a bigger career that 145 is going to be my weight class and i like it's been pretty easy making
0: yeah go go ahead yeah i i uh i wanted to ask a follow-up real quick though is is you know you, you said you've been walking into fights at 155 now you fought you know jonathan pierce who is a massive dude right like he's a really big guy for any weight class that he's in are you telling me that you you weighed 155 at fight time while fighting that guy
1: well, that one is even crazier because, um, uh, three weeks before, um, during training and wrestling, um, uh, I broke my, my, I broke my leg and, uh, I didn't have much to train I couldn't do too much except, uh, just kind of like, you know, kind of hip pads. I could stand on it. Uh, not at first, but later I was able to stand on it and able to do a little bit more and, uh, I was around one sixty five I think, and uh, uh yeah, other than that like that was the reason uh, that was the reason that w- that way I wasn't too low because I couldn't run, I couldn't do much, but I went into that leg or went into that fight with a broken uh, fibula and a broken ankle.
0: That, that's insane. So I no, I, I got a hundred questions about breaking your leg in two different places <laughs> before fighting. Yeah. How does this get by the commission? You know, not to, to give away industry secrets here, but how, how did you manage to like sneak by that you were like without a leg going into a fight in Vegas?
1: Yeah, so um, it, it happened a couple of weeks before and um, it wasn't like it wasn't broken in half, but it was it was broke. Like there was a straight... Uh, fractured all the way down my leg and uh i don't know i like i said i i just immature things that i've done because i was younger and i uh i just figured like the ufc gives you an opportunity you don't say no and i'm i always follow uh kind of like the bushido code like we're always gonna fight if i sign a contract that's a commitment and i'm a man of my word and i just figured that you know I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to, you know, do my best and do what I can do. And no matter what, I'm I'm always able to fight no matter I can go in. And even though it wasn't the smartest thing, but I still got the opportunity. Um, obviously, you can tell I got a little gas towards the end.
0: Well, that, that'll happen when you're not able to run it all, right? Like, I, I mean, I feel, feel like you got a fair excuse there. Now, I, I want to ask you now on the positive side of all of this, right? Because you're talking about immaturity early in your career and sort of learning those lessons. Now you're down doing what you should do. You're you're getting your nutrition in check. You're at a weight class that makes sense. You have this absolute bloodbath of a war in your last fight against Kai Wu in, in your A1 debut, Tell me about how much different you feel in there now that that things are sort of under control.
1: Um,
0: well, I was just,
1: I, I'm, it's, my career is just all injuries. So, the fight before that, and the fight before that one, I broke both my arms completely in half during my fights. My second contender fight, I, um... in the second round uh the beginning of the second round I broke my right arm and I broke the 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 like the side by my thumb and uh and I broke it in half and I kept fighting with the jab and uh that one put me out for a year and then uh I came back and fought an LFA and my left hand this time I broke my left hand the same way I broke the the bone and my wrist it's called a Galeaux fracture and it happened to the same arm on the other side and uh i uh i just had another year off and i just had a lot of time, like a lot to think about my career and how to do it smart and how to uh you know be a fighter but also be a smart fighter and not just be dumb going in there and and i figured going to 45s, I'll uh, I'll be you know, I'll, I'll be strong as I should be. And leading up to that fight, I just, I, something just happened to me where my goals came in check. Everything kind of just fell into place. My training, my mindset, everything. And, uh, I just, I, I went in there for blood and I, I went in there and I, I wasn't going to take a loss for an answer. I wasn't going to take anything but a win. And I went out there and I succeeded
0: And it was a damn entertaining fight. Now, I I wanted to ask you, you said in there, not just getting your nutrition right, but getting your mindset right. I I know a lot of fighters these days, you know, use mental coaches, they, you know, see sports psychologists and stuff like that. Was it anything like that for you? Or was it just, you know, sort of a moment of clarity that sort of helped you figure out where you you need to be?
1: Yeah, kind of. And it's going to sound cheesy, but... um... I met my wife, and uh, she's been such a big help, and she, she also fights, too. And just us together and uh, just having something to fight for now uh, just is – it gives you, like, a spark. It just gives you an extra gear to go to, and um, she's been the one help, that helps me with my diet. And, like, we hold each other, each other accountable And I just, I I, I can't let her down. I can't let my team down. And that's just how I've been feeling lately.
0: I dig that. That's not too cheesy. And shout out to Alondria Brown, or uh, Alondria Rosales, I guess I should say. Uh, Another talented fighter fighting in uh, LFA. So, uh, Jacob, I also, before we get to talking about this fight coming up, because that's obviously why we're here. That's what people want to hear about. I got to ask, because, you know, I'm a big fan of MMA nicknames. There's a hundred guys out there who are the Hitman or, you know, the Grim Reaper. You know, those, those are the popular ones. There's only one Lil' Badger that I know out there. And that's that's Jacob Rosales. Can you tell me the story of how
1: you became Lil' Badger? So, um, I uh, trained at CZB for basically my whole career since I was, like, 12 years old. And I've always, I've always kind of, like, portrayed that animal. Like, I didn't care – who was the biggest person, who it was. I would go in there. I remember, you know, Hector Lombard would be in there, Josh Barnett, Tim Silva, Bob Lou, all these. And I would just be young and I would just jump on these guys. And I learned so much training with these guys on like how to fight and how to really like just be mean. And I think over time they started seeing that and it helps that my coach is also a badger. His nickname is the badger and uh they were seeing me in the cage uh one time and uh it was josh and 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 ben jones and a couple other people and they were like he's just like a little badger he's just tenacious and he just goes after you and you know everyone wants a nickname when they're young so that was that's what i uh what stuck with me
0: i love that i love that And, and getting a nickname from josh barnett you could do a lot worse than that so um I, I, I want to talk about this fight because you're fighting Kevin Boehm here. He's a guy who, first of all, coming from Bellator, great guy to build your name off of. And second of all, I feel like kind of brings a fun styleistic matchup to what you kind of like to do in there. Tell me a little bit about how you feel about the styles and how they clash.
1: Yeah, um, he's uh, extremely tough. You've seen all his fights. He goes in there. He doesn't stop. He He's uh, no slouch at all. Um, I think that he has a... Uh, 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 kind of like a Muay Thai style um and uh he he shoots every so often but uh I, uh I i just think that my style and my uh just pressure and everything is uh going to be the thing that 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 shows out the most and kind of puts him on his heels and uh regardless of uh, what happens i can go to the ground I can wrestle I can strike so I'm pretty comfortable wherever it goes I'm not really thinking too much on how I'm going to finish it other than that I'm looking for the finish well
0: you kind of stole my last question man because usually I ask people as I I get ready to end these interviews give me a prediction you know maybe you don't have an exact prediction of how you're going to finish them but you know maybe a time how do you see this one ending come uh, December 23rd
1: uh it 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 just depends he's tough he can stay in there it just depends how 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 much he 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 can take or how much he wants to take um i don't I don't take a step back um I like to make everything exciting and uh I'm just looking to have a good time in there and uh build off it.
0: Well, we are looking forward to seeing that good time in there. Once again, fans, this has been Jacob Rosales, who fights Kevin Boehm at Uriah Favors, A1 Combat 16, that fight is on December twenty-third. Jacob, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me on. Well, we hope you
0: enjoyed that interview with Jacob Rosales. I once again am Din. You're gonna be really joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we obviously gotta talk about UFC two ninety-six happened this weekend. Kind of. A lackluster main event, mostly just because Colby Covington not competitive at all in a fight with Leon Edwards. Not only does he get badly outstruck, he also periodically gets out grappled, maybe nearly submitted. I want to submit this question to you, if I can. Uh, do you believe this is more his excuse, which is uh, ring rust and just not being up to snuff? Do you think this is the fact that he's 35 and perhaps not what he used to be or do you think this may even be a case of us kind of overestimating what he was ever
2: okay it's it's yes to all and i'm actually very clear on this so first of all when you are 35 we've seen the stats on this that is an absolute factor in all this so it's kind of like bad timing for him to finally get this you know title shot or i mean he's had a title shot before um but this next title shot it just came at a bad time in his career, which is on the other side of 35. Second of all, he has had a year and a half off for ring rust. I thought the game plan from round three to five where he's like, oh, shit, maybe I should try to take him down. Way better than one and two. But that's also could be a timing issue, too. So it almost was like he woke up a little bit mid-fight, mid you could say. And I'll chalk that up to ring rust. And then three, he was never really champion quality. I always viewed him as kind of a 1A Um, And I never really had a point, even in like the very close first Camaro fight, I never really had this point where I was like, this is, you know, the guy that's going to carry the the flag, the torch, be that GSP reels off, you know, nine defenses in a row. Um, He's a guy who always outstruck and used his cardio well. He's like a good game planner. But I always felt like the game planning and that sort of like pointy uh i'm gonna steal a decision is is fine you know you're in a game that you need to win but i never thought it was going to be like the the route of a dominant champion what what do you think
0: yeah i think the same thing i uh i heard somebody I, i wish i could remember who it was somebody on twitter posted that he kind of feels like and i think he will go down in history as kind of a uh uh not exciting carlos condit um, cause I think we all remember Carlos Condit winning an interim championship. He did so against a completely undeserving opponent who was out of his element in Nick Diaz. Colby kind of did the same thing with RDA, right? Like RDA probably shouldn't have been getting that title shot at that time and certainly not up a weight class. And then in addition to that, he got a couple of title shots after never really looked like he was close to winning those fights. I mean, I guess a little bit in the, the Roy or, uh, Robbie Lawler fight, but like, you know, just kind of never felt like he ought to be considered a champion, but was like, you know, kind of close enough for us to say, like, maybe he's not the least deserving person for this. Now, that being said, Colby's second title shot or third title shot, rather, he did seem like one of the less deserving challengers at that point, but he had some like decent runs before. So I'm not going to completely discount what he did, but I, I agree with you. He never felt like, you know, the what Dana White was saying he was, which is like the clear cut champion if Kamara Usman wasn't there. He just seemed kind of like an also ran guy who got a lucky interim title fight at one point in time in his career. So, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting for me to see whether or not he now decides to be active to work back to that because he's kind of always been a guy who like, give me an easy fight that will give me a title shot or I'm not really interested And because really his, his absences, apart from being punched in the tooth in a Italian restaurant. Really, the only reason for his his absence is he just didn't want to fight. You know, he didn't have a fight he liked. He didn't have a big, high-profile fight. So it'll be interesting to see if he digs back in there anytime soon.
2: Well, I'll tell you what we're going to dig back into very soon, and that's one of our favorite segments on the show, really tied for our favorite segment on the show. It's our new Combat Countdown, and this is something we do at the end of the year, every year. We're going to make some predictions. We're going to hold ourselves to it. The intern is furiously going to be taking notes on this. We're going to predict who the champs are one year from now so we'll take a look at the champs december 2023 and then both of us will log our uh guesses i guess you could say our informed opinions on who will be the champ one year from now it's always a fun thought exercise to see where these divisions are going to go so gumby before we get into this combat countdown for end of the year champs for 2024 uh i'm curious does anyone sponsor this edition of combat countdown
0: Absolutely. The Combat Countdown is brought to you by Game Up Hard Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. This is a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. And it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape. And it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Ask for Game Up or wherever it is you should buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Indeed. All
2: right, we're gonna start start at the top, so heaviest divisions down to the lightest divisions. And I could have sworn that John Jones was stripped of the heavyweight <laughs> title, but I guess technically he's still the heavyweight champion. Of course, Aspinall is the interim champ. Um, yeah, and I think that's just because I've seen John Jones get stripped from titles so many times. Uh, that all being said, uh, Stipe is supposedly next for John Jones. Of course, with Aspinall being the interim champ, he could be in the mix there against John Jones. Uh, Do you think at the end of next year, John Jones is still the heavyweight champ. Your thoughts?
0: So my pick here, uh, and we both missed heavyweight last year. Uh, I will add uh, my pick here is going to be no, but not necessarily because John Jones loses. I just don't think he's going to be around come the beginning of 2025. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't believe he's going to fight more than Stipe. It seems like at this stage in his career, uh, especially coming off of you know what sounds to be a pretty horrific pec injury, is like I, I don't think he wants to fight a dangerous fight. He doesn't want to fight the Tom Aspinalls, the Sergei Pavlovich's, the, you know, Jelton Almeida's, you know, like name your your scary, heavyweight young guy out there right now. He doesn't want any piece of it. He wants to beat Sneepe right off into the sunset. And I think whatever time of the year that happens, he vacates immediately after that. And they probably just promote Tom Aspinall into being the permanent champion. So I'm going to say no, John Jones, not the champion at the end of 2024.
2: I am so conflicted on this because <laughs> I would never go into a bet that says John Jones is going to hold on to a title. Not because I think he's going to lose it in the cage. I just think all his <laughs> outside, you know, interferences are actually more likely where he's not even in the UFC next year or he's suspended or something crazy, but I'm actually going to say yes here. And I'll tell you why I think he, if they get the stipe fight off in March, He's obviously going to win. Stipe doesn't have one foot out the door. He has like three feet out the door. He's basically been retired at this point. And then, you know, what? Jones is going to go up against Aspinall maybe next November. Maybe he doesn't even do Aspinall next November. Maybe Aspinall just is the interim champ for the next year. Um, And Jones only fights once. He's such a big name. I don't think they're going to pressure him or necessarily strip him of the title. If he defends the heavyweight title once next year, they're cool. They probably can only shoot for twice. So I'm basically banking the fact that I know he beats Stipe, and I'm going to say yes, just because I think he can maybe get past Aspinall in November of 2024. Let's move on. So I'm yes, you're no. Uh, 205. It's our boy, Alex Pereira. Possibly Jamal Hill next. They're already talking shit together. There's a great storyline tie-in there since he'll beat Glover. Uh, what do you got? I'm going to actually say yes on Alex Pajeda.
0: I, I think... Um... You know, I, I'm not really worried about Jamal Hill. I've kind of always been a Jamal Hill naysayer, as long as we're being honest. I, I think he's, you know, he's really talented, um, but he just seems a touch slow for me against somebody like Paeda, especially somebody who hits as hard as Paeda. And then when you're looking at other challengers at 205 right now, nobody just really sticks out as being particularly scary to him at this time. You know, you got maybe Magomed Ankalaev versus uh, Johnny Walker with, with some implications on that fight and... Yeah, It just doesn't, nobody strikes me as being like, oh yeah, that's the guy to beat Pajeda. So with with nothing uh, imminently dangerous in his face, I'm just going to say he keeps it.
2: Uh, I'm with you on that. I just don't find that the talent there is like so deep. Um, Is he beatable? Yes, I do think he's beatable. We saw Izzy beat him. Izzy could come up to 205 and potentially beat him again. But if I think to the fact that Izzy's going to stay at middleweight, I don't really see any other 205ers. That are going to get by his just nasty striking i mean his striking is so far and above the average in the ufc i'm comfortable saying yes so we match there 185 it's sean strickland somewhat of our surprising champion mm-hmm. Duplessis is next the south african fighter uh what do you think strickland still champion a year no chance i don't think he's still champion two months
0: uh you know i i think I, i'm picking dragon Duplessis uh in that fight uh i i just think Look, Sean Strickland is a guy who's gotten by in his pretty much his whole career with volume, right? Like he is not a dangerous striker. I don't think anybody out here will argue that he's a dangerous striker. Sure. He wobbled Izzy Ida Sanya a little bit, but like he doesn't have big put away power in his hands. And when you're talking about the people he's going to have to fight at the top of this 185 pound division, it's terrifying, right? Like there's so many people who could put you in the way in there. And there's people who get out game plan them too. Like you know, I know Robert Whitaker is coming off of a loss, but God, could Robert Whitaker outpoint him? Sure. Could Jared Cannonier just drop some absolutely devastating? on I mean, Cannonier's already beat him once and we're not even talking about the big, strong, powerful dude who's standing across from him. If he gets by that one, he's got just as dangerous, maybe even more dangerous test behind it. I don't buy Sean Strickland as a champ come into
2: 2024. Um, I I mean, I'm not really gonna add anything. I agree with every word you just said. I would not put my money on him keeping the title. He feels very kind of Michael Bisping Bispingy to me, where I'm I'm happy he got it. He's he's good, but not great. He's a little better than good, even, but certainly not great. And there are a few guys that I could see beating him. So I'm not going to predict that, you know, he keeps the title. This one's a little more interesting. Leon Edwards has now defended his title a couple of times here. He's the 170 pound champion. Uh, do you think Leon Edwards will still be 170 pound champ next year? Belial Muhammad rumored to be the next challenger.
0: I'm going to say no here. Uh, Cause I actually think both of the next challengers are really bad matchups for him stylistically. Um, Bilal Muhammad, I, I think is a tough challenger. I think people have slept on how good he is. I mean, the dude put Sean Brady away on the feet, and then you, when you add in the fact that he's got really incredible wrestling, we we saw it in the uh, the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight. Like he's just got a lot of weapons. And then you know, there's there's the the big Kazakh you know elephant in the room, and that's that shop got Rachman off. We're talking about if Leon Edwards is going to be champ at the end of the year, he's going to be coming off of wins over you know Colby Covington. Kamara Usman twice, Bilal Muhammad, and Shavkat Rachmanov. Sign me up for fighter of the decade if he pulls that five-fight runoff. I'm saying no here.
2: Yeah, I almost wish I I went first. I don't like matching you two in a row. It doesn't really make for great podcast content, but I agree completely. I've never been super sold on Edwards, which sounds crazy to say considering he's reeled off like 12 wins in a row. I actually think he gets by Balil, but I do not think he gets by uh, Shavkat. And I just think someone's going to come along – when you're at the top like this and everyone's studying every little move you make, someone's going to come along with the right game plan to beat him. I mean, Christ, we almost saw Nate Diaz get him very, very late in round five. Um, it's there. He's he's not indestructible to me. I'll take the next one first, okay? Makachev <laughs> is the 155-pound champ. I'm saying, yes, he'll still be champ. Gaethje could be next. Charlie Olives could be next. He mercs everyone there. He looks unstoppable, unstoppable to me, and until I see someone stop him, I'll just keep picking him. So yes, for me, I'm not gonna show.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go the same here. Uh, you know, you said it's bad, you know, bad radio when we do this, and so far we've only disagreed on John Jones, which you know it's easy to disagree on John Jones. I I, I just think that his wrestling is the big game changer, right? The guy who was the closest, and I might have said had a chance to beat him was Alexander Volkov. I still think with a full camp, he does uh, some pretty. Interesting things that make that fight really hard for Islam Makhachev to win. It's a shame that the repeat fight came on short notice and we didn't get to see the real deal. But like Gaethje has shown massive issues with his wrestling defense and getting back up. He swings too wild for his own good. You know, Charlie Olives, we've kind of seen that play out until that next ring of contenders come up. You know, the ones I'm thinking of, Armin Sakurian. If Armin Sakurian were to get a title shot in 2024, I might talk about saying not Makhachev here. I don't think he's going to be getting that shot this year. I think maybe 2025 we see an Armand Sarkarian title shot. But if we do, man, like that's that's the guy who I would start to think about. Yes, maybe can upset Makashev.
2: All right. Volkanovsky is the 145 pound champion. He's basically in contention as not only like one of the greats of all time, um, but certainly like maybe the featherweight goat uh, for sure. Uh, he's defended his title a bunch of times. He's only really had blemishes recently when he's come up to 155 against Makachev. No shame there. Um, beat the brakes off Yair Rodriguez when they matched up. They're not going to match him up with Max Holloway in a 15,000th time, but uh is right there. Taporia poses a challenge for everyone. Ortega actually came close with a submission. He's still at the top of the rankings. Josh Emmett's massive fucking frying pan hand is <laughs> out there. Um, I'm actually so I'm going to take this one first gun because I have a bit of a controversial answer. I think Volkanovski if you were making a bet you, your safe money is on him keeping it like no one is better than him, but I am going to go kind of with what I said against Leon Edwards. He it's been coming close. He's on the wrong side of 35. Crazy shit happens in the UFC. I almost just think because of his age and the amount of times he's defended the title at this point, it almost starts to go into the territory where the odds become on the side of him losing it because it's just impossible to keep it that long. And I'm going to also assume he's going to have to defend twice. He's not coming back up to 155 next year. So he's going to have to defend twice next year. So I get two cracks at someone finally solving the Volkanovsky puzzle. I'll take it. I'm going to say no. So I'm a little
0: bit worried about the buckshot approach too. you know, the fact that like once they've they've had a whole bunch of challengers and people start to figure things out, and especially after his chin gets touched a little bit, because that's the other piece we got to talk about now, you know, on the wrong side of 30 and with his chin having just been touched. I'm starting to worry, too. But to your point, I do think there's a chance he has to defend twice. But the reason I'm saying, yes, he does keep that belt is I think only one of those challengers is scary. I think only Aaliyah Tapuria out of all those people who you mentioned being left in the division at the top of the division, I think only Aaliyah Tapuria really, you know, like causes him any problems right now. You know, if he sees Arnold Allen down the road or he sees, you know, Max Holloway a fourth time or he sees, you know, like you mentioned, Josh Emmett with a big punch, those guys aren't going to outpoint him. Those guys aren't going to do anything to him that he hasn't already seen. You know, if he sees Mobsar Evloev down the road, I mean, that dude almost lost to Diego Lopez. Like. I just think he's so much better than everybody else that as long as he gets by Topuria in this uh, early pay-per-view here, I I think he skates uh, really easy for the rest of the year. So I'm going to say yes
2: here. He does keep his title. All right, fun. We disagree. Um, I actually like your picks better than mine. Um, But uh, (laughs) yeah, I just, uh, I'm sort of praying and hoping. I just like seeing a little chaos thrown into the division. So I'm saying no on him. All right, 135, it's O'Malley. Brendan Vera is next. We'll go to you first. What do you got?
0: So I don't think Chito Vera is going to be the one to beat him necessarily. I think obviously he does already have one win over him and that, that makes things interesting, but I'm actually going to say no on Sean O'Malley. I, I think, um, you know, Sean O'Malley obviously showed some real stuff there in that Aljamain Sterling fight, but really he won that fight by pretty much dragging Aljamain Sterling into being desperate or thinking he was doing well. I, I don't know how much that trickeration works forever. You know, I, I think we kind of saw it with Conor McGregor, right? we were talking about people getting figured out as the champ. Conor McGregor, you know, he had people rush at him and he finished them, right? You know, he had Chad Mendez put the pedal to the metal and, and when he ran out of gas, got picked apart. He had Jose Aldo, like, sprint at him in the first nine seconds of that fight and get torched, you know, like he had a lot of people do things. And then once they realized, oh, he's going to throw a counter left hand and I just have to avoid that, people started having a lot more success against him. And not that O'Malley could be boiled down to just a counter left hand, but I think once people start to put themselves out there a little bit less against Sean O'Malley, as Aljamain Sterling did, not get desperate in just the second round of a five-round fight, I think you're going to see people find more success. I think Chito Vera's got a chance to be that one to get the success, but if he's not, you know, you got Henry Cejudo not that far behind, who probably could follow a really nice game plan there. You got Marab Devalishvili, Philly, who could come out and be the next challenger as well. Like whoever wins that matchup between those two, I think poses a really big threat to him. So he's gonna have to deal with two of those threats, and uh, I, I don't, I don't really like his chances to do that. Uh,
2: I've, I'm still shocked he's the champion. Um, so I'm not gonna <laughs> add much, and I'm also saying no. Uh, Pantoja is the 125 pound champion. We just saw him defend this past weekend. Slew of options here. Moreno, uh, Albazi, Cape, Nicolau, uh, I'll kick it off to you first. Is Pantoja still the champ one year from now?
0: I'm actually going to say yes on Alex, Alessandre Pantoja. I-, I think, um, first of all, the thing working in his, his favor is timing. You know, he just defended his title. So he's going to get a little bit of a of grace period here before he's got defend it defended again. Uh, he's probably going to get the winner of Moreno versus Albezi next. It, it, you know, it, it, to me, that's probably Moreno, who he just beat, and he looked really good doing so. If not, he's going to get the winner of Cape and Nicolau, and he's already beaten Cape. So, I, I mean, we're talking about challengers he's kind of run into. I was incredibly impressed with this dude's grappling uh, last Saturday. I thought it was some of the most impressive championship-level grappling I've seen in a long time. So I'm going to say yes on Pantoja. I say he keeps it.
2: Um, I am going to say yes as well. There's no one else there that super, super, well, they impress me, but they don't impress me enough to be Pantoja. So I'm right there with you. Now let's move to the women's side. This is a little bit more fun. Um, 135 (laughs) pound is vacant. So I guess we can't really, how do you want to do this? We can't really. We
0: did it last year with uh, light heavyweight, just as a refresher. We did it last year with light heavyweight because it was technically vacant when we left last year. Uh, and we just predicted a name. Uh, instead of because both of us get this, both of us. Do you want to know who we picked? Who? Glover, oh. Glover, Share. Oh boy, <laughs> not good picks. Um, so we just took a name. We both took Glover last year.
2: Um, all right. So, who's your name? All
0: right, I'm gonna say. Uh, I- I'm gonna say. Do I? Uh, how about this? I'm gonna go wild. What? I'm gonna say Misha Tate wow that's insane Uh, yeah and it uh, here's why so to start off you got this this interim title fight in january it's gonna be raquel pennington versus Myra buena silva one of those two will soon be champion okay that's a fact uh unless we get another weird draw or something like that the ufc seems to hate juliana peña right now they don't seem to be all that thrilled with her Trash talking, how she tried to downgrade Amanda Nunes or like, you know, I mean, she didn't get the Amanda Nunes title shot and then she didn't get the vacant title shot after that. They clearly want her to fight again. As good as Misha Tate looked in her last fight, if her wrestling holds up in that way yet again, I could see her out wrestling either Raquel Pennington or Myra Buena Silva. I could see her out wrestling Holly Holm if they went for another rematch for them for the number one contendership. I could see her out wrestling Juliana Pena if they made Pena fight her right now. I'm not saying yes, 100% for sure, Misha Tate, but as my fun long shot pick in a division that doesn't make a lick of sense, I'll take Misha Tate.
2: I, I'm just going to throw out Juliana Pena. I think Tate's too old. Um, I'm going to just say Pena. I get that maybe they don't like her, but she is controversial. I don't know. I'll, I'll hope she finds herself. I don't even like Pena, but I'm picking her. Hennington <laughs> does not impress me at all. Bueno Silva's okay. Uh, I'll take Pena. So hey, that's
0: just point. out of just out of curiosity, because I want to throw this out here to you, because it, it, it shocked me when somebody brought this same exact point up to me. How much older – than uh juliana pena do you think misha tate is
2: well i get yeah i get it. it's gonna end up being like two years or something like that but i just think the, i mean tate has been fighting in women's MMA yeah, yeah, yeah. At level the mileage it, uh but what is it two years three years?
0: You're, you're very close it's three years in one day they're three go. years and one day apart.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's like, I mean, I now I'm like pressed. I can't think off the top of my head, but I could bring up a, a litany of guys who are like, how old are they? Oh, they're oh, 33, you know, but they've been fighting since they were 17.
0: You know who my favorite one is? You want to you do a, a remember some guys. Do you remember Joe Diesel Riggs? Of course I remember Joe Diesel Riggs. How old do you think Joe Diesel Riggs is? <laughs> like right now or when he was fight? like right Like right now, today, how old uh, is Joe I, Diesel Riggs? Well,
2: since you're asking, I, I guess I'll say it's something crazy. Like is he 40, he's only 42 or something? He's 41. <laughs> yeah, that's insane.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he was in the UFC at like 20 years old. So it feels like he should be like, 55 at this point in time he also looked 55 even when he was making his debut so uh yeah no that's one of my faves
2: (laughs) um all right this one's fun i'm gonna take it first uh alexa grasso is the 125 pound female champ uh you have shevchenko potentially blanchfield and furio out there it's absolutely no for me i think blanchfield is the best fighter in that division i think shevchenko is the best striker i think blanchfield is the best all around she's certainly the best grappler I like all the potential title challengers more than I like Grasso, so it's no.
0: Yeah, I just don't think, and Grasso has gotten so much better in her grappling in the last couple of fights, but I don't think it's enough to deal with what Blanchfield brings. Like, I just think Blanchfield is so good on the ground. I think she's definitely getting a title shot this year. I don't know why they haven't announced it yet because the clock is kind of ticking. I think they said she's got like six or seven months left before she's no longer going to be the youngest women's champ of all time. Like, this is a marketable moment. Get her in a title fight in this first half of 2024 because, like, why why wouldn't you want to be able to tout that? So, I think her, I think possibly a Shevchenko rematch, you know, I think Manolfi Rowe could possibly beat her. She's tough as hell, too. Um, There's just so many options there. I'm just going to go buckshot approach. I don't think Alexa Grasso can do it.
2: Um Zhang Weili really has kind of entered the discussion, I think, as one of the best in the female uh, division. We obviously have seen she's had blemishes on her record against Rose Namajunas. That's kind of been her kryptonite. But other than that, when you look at her record, I mean, it's really impressive. And now she's a multiple-time uh, champion at strawweight, twenty-four and three as a pro. Her only losses in the UFC are to Rose Namajunas, wins over ready for this Jessica Andrade, Joanna, Carla Esparza. So she's beaten former champions and beaten them handily. Uh, she is the champ right now. I'll kick it off to you first. Is she still the champion here?
0: I think I'm going to say yes. Uh, I, th- I think the, the title fight that seems to be on the docket for her is Yan Xionan. Uh That fight doesn't really concern me with her. Apart from Yan Nan's weird knockout of... Uh, uh, Jessica Andrade, she's never really shown all that much power. I also just don't think she has, like, the bulk approach or the strength to really deal with Wang Jali. Um, and, and then you got Tatiana Suarez kind of on the docket. Perhaps she gets a title fight. She does have a book for already fight, or a fight already booked with Amanda Lemos. I, I don't know what's, you know, whether or not that one works out or not, but at the end of the day, no, I just think Weili is just too good, and, and she winds up on top here.
2: So, I'm very conflicted. <laughs> Because I happen to think Tatiana Suarez can beat her. Obviously, I'm a huge Tatiana Suarez fan. Um, but I don't know that that title shot's going to happen in the next year. So these are the games we play, right, Gumby? That, it's um, the tricky one. <laughs> that's the tricky part. That's the tricky part. If I knew she was the next title challenger, I'm just going to be controversial. I'll say yes. We'll differ on three, I guess. You mean no? Uh, no, I meant no, yeah. yeah. I mean no, she won't be the champion. And uh, we'll leave it at that. So, hey. That's our list. We'll print this out. We'll we'll social media it. We'd love to hear your opinions. And if we got this right or got this wrong, we'll of course check back in in a year and see how we did. The intern took the notes. So Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. That was a fun combat countdown. But what should we do next?
0: Well, We're going to transition now to my interview with Jose Avalos, who fights this weekend at A1 Combat 16. We're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Jose Abelos who fights Abdicabil Kaldar at Uriah Favors A1 Combat 16. That fight is on December 23rd. So, Jose, I wanted to start here, you know, looking back at your record. It's been about eight or uh, 18 months since we've seen you in that cage. Do you mind sharing what some of the obstacles are that have kind of kept you out for this long?
3: Yeah, the first obstacle, my opponent actually missed weight. And uh, I've been taking a lot of fights with opponents who have missed weight, and I felt like he wasn't deserving of actually taking my ranking or fighting me at that day. So I left it to my coaches. They scratched him off the card. And um, I didn't see it as a, as a loss because um, I learned a lot through that fight camp. And then the second um, fight I was going to have for A1 combat, I had actually finished a jiu-jitsu tournament, and we went out to a comedy show. And after the comedy show, I got on a scooter to go get, we're going to go get some pizza. And I hit a pothole and I flipped and I, my collarbone kind of tore, all ligaments tore from my shoulder. And so that kind of, I had to pull out of that fight in August and I recovered. And, you know, now it's time to actually fight this year.
0: Yeah, that's brutal. So, uh, wh- what was the recovery time like on that tear? Was it you know you had to completely be out of the gym? You could still do little bits and pieces. How long were you out? Nah, I, I
3: did not. I did not um, take any time off. Although I had all the excuses to sit out and go home after after coaching the kids, I decided to. Um, if you know, it's the art of eight limbs. I I was only out of two, so I was. Still working on my head movement my footwork my kicks my knees my feints i was still working on things on the bag and still moving around and breaking a sweat so i kind of never left the gym i just been working on things um like footwork and head movement and stuff like that that i needed to add to my arsenal. I so there was no time off
0: i i love that mentality that is great stuff now i i also want to ask you too here you know, you mentioned the first fight being canceled by your opponent missing weight, and I feel like that's a trend we're seeing more and more, even in high-level MMA. The very top leagues, we're seeing UFC guys missing weight and people canceling fights. Wonder Boy canceled the fight earlier this year that way. Do you think more fighters should be taking that route? They should be backing out of fights and forcing their opponents to make weight?
3: I believe so. I think that there's a lot I think that the real fight is actually making the weight. Honestly, that's probably the hardest part for me. The fighting part is all fun in games in there. It's all fun and just putting what you applied to work. I think that if if the opponent's not gonna take it serious, especially in my case, that I I was a Bantamweight weight at one thirty five and I moved up to fight him at forty and then he still misses weight and we agree on a on a on on him to show up, you know, day of the fight at a certain weight, and he still misses that day, okay, we gave him two chances already. We just scratched him. So I think that it should be encouraged. They should keep it professional and make weight.
0: I dig it. I dig it. Now, you also mentioned in there, both teaching the kids' class, but also training jujitsu in general. And, you know, flipping through your Instagram, you're one of the only MMA fighters I see out there who's doing as much work in the gi as you do outside of the gi, and and perhaps a lot more in the gi, maybe, than you are doing outside of the gi. Is, Is that really important to you for sport reasons or is that really important to you in the way that you do mma too
3: yeah i believe that the um grappling in the gi is much tougher than grappling in the nogi I, I wrestled since i was very young so the nogi is where i thrive but when somebody's able to hold you down or grab you and not allow you to leave and move you gotta you gotta use your mind a little more so it's more of like a a, a different type of chess match that you play mentally that allows you to have an edge over your opponent in the fight when you actually remove the gi and they can't hold you down.
0: So you you see that as more of a, a giant advantage for you in, in almost like the defensive side of the grappling, in in the escape side of the grappling?
3: Yeah, the frictions of the gi, it doesn't allow you to move as easy as when both of you are sweaty and slippery. It's easier to get out. I so dig- e- Either or, even controlling your opponent.
0: That that makes a lot of sense to me. And now th- that sort of feeds right into the questions I wanted to ask you about this upcoming fight. Because Kaldar, you know, your opponent here for December 23rd, is a guy who seemingly looks like he enjoys a grappling match once in a while. You know, he's got some rear naked choke finishes. I know you got more than a couple rear naked choke finishes on your record, but he's got some rear naked choke finishes too. What did you sort of think when that was the name they brought to you that, that they wanted you to fight on this card?
3: I figured if, if it's my style and if we do cancel each other's style and we and you know we, we can't take each other down for whatever reason our defense is great then I've I've been preparing for my stand up. Most of my camp has been half grappling, half stand up. Most of the end has been um stand up. I just I did no gi worlds after my uh I did uh, actually worlds in Vegas, not no gi. But yeah, I actually took third there, you know, right after my injury, not expecting to take anything. <laughs> but yeah like i think that if he wants to go to the ground or if he puts me on my back i think that that's where i thrive best i'm very dangerous on my back especially when somebody's actually trying to hit you and if they body lock they actually turn into a barrel and they get rolled easily so i think it fits my style and, and if i end up on top in the ground which that's where i want to be um i think i'm going to finish him. i'm not going to make the same mistakes and go for anything fancy i'm just going to stay on top and drop some elbows and just be nasty and hold position over anything.
0: I like that. Now I'm, I'm going to get to talking a little bit more about that fight, but we're going back to talking about you telling me that you competed at NoGi Worlds with
3: a torn no, not NoGi oh NoGi Worlds NoGi Worlds. Gi World? Worlds yeah in okay. Vegas okay so you had, you went to Master Worlds World, actually Master Worlds
0: you went to Master Worlds with a torn ligament in your shoulder and still managed to take third how how banged up was your shoulder at this time had it recovered at least a little.
3: It was taped up, and since I was able to wear a gi, nobody, none of my opponents <laughs> were able to see my tape on my shoulder. That I was actually taping down that, that collarbone. Yeah, and um, I mean, when, when I'm free from uh, expectations, when I'm free from pressure, because I wasn't going out there to win. I had a lot of teammates that were going out there to compete, and I was like, oh, it sounds fun to just go. I already paid for it a while back. you know. To, I was free from pressure. I was free from expectation to win. I was like, oh, I might just do one match, and, and I'm out. I'm going to lose. These guys are ready. But I ended up just winning, 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 winning up until the semifinals. And then I lost, not by submission, I lost by two points. The guy took my back.
0: Oh, man, dude, that is an incredible story. So you're saying all you do here is you win, you compete. When you're free from expectations, you're your best. So you sort of already hinted on how you think this is going to go down December 3rd. And it's the fight or the the question I always like to end these interviews with. How do you see this one ending on December 23rd?
3: I see this one ending with me on the mount position dropping elbows and and raining down heavy and he's gonna give me his back himself and i'm gonna choke him out like i usually do i kind of how i see it going
0: i love it and you've heard it here first folks this has been jose avalos who fights abdikabil kaldar at uriah favors a1 combat 16 that fight once again december 23rd jose thank you so much for the time man i really
3: appreciate it thank you dan i appreciate you
0: And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Game of Heart Hydration. And remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Dave gubbie Freeland, He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.